0: Today we're carrying on in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to Matthew chapter six? Matthew chapter six. We're gonna be starting in verse five. We've been going through the Sermon in the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about living in light of the kingdom that has already come in Jesus the kingdom of God that Jesus brings with him. And so much of chapter five, in the Sermon on the Mount, the first chapter of it, really highlights what it looks like when you come into contact with Jesus. And the second half, chapter six, begins to kind of unpack how you live in light of the kingdom. And that's what we're looking at today. So this is Matthew chapter five. It's chapter six, sorry, starting in verse five. Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Then Jesus will go on to say in verse 9, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today Father, we want to hear from you. So would you speak this morning? Would we see your son, Jesus, who he is? And respond to the invitation he gives us here. In your name, amen. In this passage, Jesus is highlighting the second illustration or practice that he talks about uh, that he uses as a way of talking about how we live rightly related to God, others, and ourselves in his kingdom. Last week we looked at the first illustration, which was this illustration of charity, of giving to those in need. This week we're looking at prayer, which led us then into the Lord's prayer, where Jesus ultimately teaches us how we should pray. But before doing that, Jesus wants to give us a little bit of a breakdown on how not to pray. Now, sometimes that can be helpful. You need to be shown how not to do something. And what we see there is that, or discover, is that we've gotten it all wrong when we treat prayer as performance for others. That we've misunderstood prayer when we treat it as a way to manipulate God into doing what we want. And instead, Jesus teaches us that prayer is this conversation about things that are of mutual concern. And so we should pray focused on him and by relating to him not as a distant and cold god but as our father and what i want to do is just work through this verse by verse so verse 5 is the first how not to pray when you pray don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others truly i tell you they've received a reward in full now the purpose of prayer is worship fellowship and petition of God. And hypocrites, Jesus is saying, have lost sight of prayer's true purpose. He's talking about, here in his example, the worst of religious um, expression. Pious Jews in the first century had prayers that they would pray each day, three times a day. And this wasn't meant to be dull and repetitive, but rather very intentional. They were supposed to be engaged with it. And there were rabbinic rules, though, that forbade praying loudly in public, and others that allowed for praying quietly in public. And Jesus takes issue not with the action in this illustration, but the intent of the ones doing this. They're hypocrites, Jesus says. Don't pray like them because they have a divided heart. Don't pray with a divided heart. The term hypocrite in classical Greek is usually referring to stage actors like in a play. They were actors who would perform for crowds, and in Jesus' time, there were theaters that were close to the area where he would have grown up. Through these stage actors, or through their acting, they wanted to move people. But what's interesting is this word, hypocrite, came to refer to people who practiced deceit. Their internal lives were not congruent with what they, uh, with, their inter- with their external lives. They would say one thing and do another. They would act one way, but with ulterior motives. And Jesus took the human heart seriously and not the physical heart. In the, in the mind of a Hebrew, the heart was the center of your emotions, of your desires, of your will, of your thoughts. The people performing prayer in synagogues or on street corners looked good, it looked faithful, they looked righteous. But what they are doing is not what it seems like. Their hearts were divided. Their prayers were addressed to God through their mouths, but really they were addressed to other people who were present too. God was not actually essential to their prayers. What was essential was being seen by others. And Jesus says they get what they want. They will be seen. Because the essential audience that they have in mind is the other human beings around them and not God. And God will not intrude on their plans. That's why Jesus says they have the reward. It's just not going to be from our Father. Now, it's really easy when you and I hear this to dismiss this and be like, listen, I am not going to be standing on street corners and praying. I'm not going to be standing even up on the stage and praying. That's not for me. I think I I got this whole thing under uh, control in my life. You know what, I'll do you one better. You might even say, I don't even want to pray in front of other people in a small group. It's just, that's not me. I'll, maybe I'll have to do it, but I'm not going to pray out loud too much. But Jesus here is speaking about something more. And one of the things that can happen is when we pray, we only think of how we are sounding to others through our words. Or impressing others through the knowledge that we have of passages or how genuine we sound or theologically astute we are. And when we do these things, we have the wrong audience in mind. We have the wrong focus because our prayer has become directed to God, but also anyone else in the room who's got ears to hear us. And that's what Jesus is confronting here. When you do this, this actually ceases to become Prayer. Prayer addressed to God and others is no longer prayer. Prayer addressed to God has to be exclusive to God. He's the sole audience. This isn't about prayer in public. Jesus actually doesn't take issue with praying in public. He doesn't say don't pray in public. We pray in public. We've de- we did that this morning, just a little while ago. Some of you do that at home, before a meal. There's other people present there. We do that at luncheons, at weddings, funerals, other events. He's not condemning that at all. Jesus is highlighting an issue of intent and purpose. What are you hoping for when you pray in front of others? What is it to be seen as respectful, as wise, as mature? Jesus says you've become a hypocrite when you do that. A performer. Don't pray like that. If you want to know the intent and purpose of your prayer in front of others, look at what it is that you want and expect from that prayer. Intent and purpose are discerned by those things. If your sole focus when praying is conversing with God, if he alone is the audience that you have in mind, he will respond. But if you pray with God and others in mind, thinking about how to word it, how to phrase it, to make it sound perfect so others do think of you in a positive light, you've got it all wrong. And God will courteously step aside because your desires actually don't have to do with him anymore. So in other words, God doesn't really care how smart you sound when you pray, how knowledgeable you are. He cares about your complete attention, not a divided attention. Pray for and to an audience of one, your Father in heaven. And the hypocrites have lost sight of this. So don't be like them. Their reward is so small, you don't even want it. Then in verse 6, Jesus will say, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now here Jesus uses this hyperbolic language to convey an important idea. Homes in the first century had just one room that could be locked with a door. It wasn't the bedroom. It was the pantry or supply room. It's where you stored your feed or tools or maybe some small animals. This room could actually be private. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. Go somewhere private, go without, somewhere without people, without distraction, without your device to distract you. Without others, and pray to your Father. Which begs the question, why? I mean, we believe that God is near at all times, that he can see and hear us at all times. Why do we need to go there in order to pray? Why does he encourage us to do that here? Well, one reason is Jesus tells us to go somewhere private because privacy facilitates intimacy and focus. Jesus knows how much easier it is for us to focus and draw near to God when you have privacy. And you and I know this on an experiential level, that intimacy is built when you spend one-on-one time with one another. And this doesn't even have to be romantic. Of course, it can be. Husbands, wives, when you guys have that time together, it's so nice if your kids aren't clamoring for your attention and asking you, what are you guys talking about? Who did that? doesn't matter. Don't listen. Right? But this can come out with your best friend that you just get along with so well that you're like, man, I have just wanted to hang out with you so much because we love to do this one activity together. And you have that time, and it builds up your relationship. Those... Focused moment, strengthen, build up, and recharge a relationship. And every significant relationship needs it. Have you ever met up with a friend or someone that you were very close with and you just lost track of time? Because you're so entranced with that conversation. Maybe you actually had errands to do, something else to do, and you get caught up in that conversation and you just completely lose track of time. In that moment, in that conversation, Time doesn't matter. Your responsibilities don't matter. The only thing that matters is who you are with. And it's not until after that you realize how much time has passed. That is what Jesus is getting at here when it comes to prayer. You are consumed with him. You are not consumed with what others are thinking, these other things. He is the audience you care about. The second reason that Jesus tells us to go into the secret place Because there, God will reward you. More specifically, your Father will. Notice something really important here. Jesus says, pray to your Father who is unseen, and he'll go on to say, and sees in secret. The Father dwells in the secret place. When you pray in that hidden place, your heavenly Father meets you. This is the first time that Jesus connects Father to God, and this can be difficult for some of us because our biological fathers weren't perfect. They got it wrong in many ways. See, God is not like your earthly father. Even if we had great fathers, God is not impatient, selfish, or moody. He's not absent, manipulative, or mean. And in one sense, what Jesus does here is radical, and in another sense, it was actually entirely typical for a first-century Jew. What was average or typical was that Jews in the first century had an understanding of God as Father, and they associated that term with three ideas. One is that God is the Father Creator. He is the author of all life. And a healthy posture to God is to acknowledge our dependence on Him, that all we have from Him is a gift. The second was that God is the Father King. Every father had a kingdom, if it, even if it was a tiny little kingdom in one little home. And a king was considered, like a political king, was considered father to his people, responsible to his, for his people's protection and prosperity in the realm of his rule. To call God his father is actually to pledge your allegiance and loyalty to his eternal kingship. And those who committed themselves wholeheartedly to God by covenant with him were his children. And the third way that this, the third idea that was associated with father was God is the father-redeemer. Israel understood that God is the one who goes to outrageous lengths to adopt and rescue his children, rescue them out of slavery, but then make make them his children, set them free when they need help. In that sense, what Jesus does is not very radical because Jews had this understanding of God as father in this way what is radical in what jesus is doing is saying that my father my the relationship i experience with my father is what you can experience with him see jews believed they could pray to god that god heard them but his presence was only accessible in the most holy of holies the messiah in the scriptures was said to be god's son he had this unique special relationship with God as the bringer of God's kingdom on earth and the one whom God would make king to rule over all the earth he would enjoy this special favor and connection with God and now Jesus is saying because you've come into contact with me you can now have that same kind of relationship with my father and when you live your life for an audience of one and you pray for him, to him, you can experience that same kind of intimacy, the same kind of trust, the same kind of love, the same kind of care that I have with my father. And part of uh, your life, the part of your life that is seen when you live this way, you will see events happen in your life that cannot be explained solely by the visible world because of this relationship in the hidden place, in the secret place. You see this in Jesus' life. His life and ministry were this overflow of his relationship with his father. And you can see in John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do, he can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does, for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus invites us in prayer to experience the relationship that he and his Father have experienced before the creation of the world that has existed in the Trinity. And he says, you can pray to this Father and know him too, like I do. When you live and meet with God in that secret place, the effect on your life is remarkable. What happens in the unseen begins to spill out into the seen places of your life. And your prayer to your Father will pour out and affect all these other parts of your life. And so he invites us into this life, this kind of life. You don't just have to come and meet God in a temple. You can meet him in the secret place. You can know him like I do. And this is a whole new way of living that Jesus offers to us. But there's one more thing that Jesus wants to teach us about how not to pray. In verse 7, you see, he says this. When you pray... Don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. If Jesus calls out the terrible motives of the religious, He will now call out how pagans misunderstand how prayer works. And He says, Don't keep on babbling and praying with so many words in hopes of manipulating God through your words. This is how Pagans understood their prayers would work. Jesus here is confronting a belief system that is not of his people, but of those who did not follow Yahweh, the God of Israel. They believed, worshipped, and prayed to other gods. There was a whole pantheon of gods. And these gods were not like the God of Israel. They could be moody, others distant. and They weren't always, always morally good or kind. And so Jesus says, look, don't pray like these people who pray to other gods because that system that they have is not working. Your prayer, as far as they were concerned, had to prove how sincere you were. And this was expressed in all kinds of elaborate ways. Screaming, ripping your clothes, causing yourself to bleed and you can go into the Old Testament and see examples of this. If you go to First Kings chapter 18, when Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal, and there's this whole showdown. The way that the prophets of Baal seek to get the attention of that God is by shouting from morning till noon. They dance around the altar they made. They begin to slash themselves with swords and spears in order to get the attention of their God. But not only were pagans known for being loud, they were known for wearing themselves out. There was even a a belief among some that you needed to wear yourself out in order to be heard. Petitioning gods over and over and over again, tiring yourself out. If you do this, God, then I'll do this. I'll make this sacrifice if you do this. The issue here is that this kind of prayer assumed that the purpose of prayer was to get God's attention and to make them aware of whatever issue was going on in your life and in the world so that they would finally address it. But more than that, I think these kinds of prayers do something worse than that. And this is where Jesus takes issue with it, and he doesn't want his people to live in this way. This kind of petition makes God a begrudging giver. And it dehumanizes people, turning them into beasts of burden who are clamoring for attention from their creator, from their father. And this is not who God is. This is not the way of Jesus. And Jesus says, do not pray like this. have nothing to do with this kind of prayer because this isn't the character of God. This isn't how God relates to you. So don't pray like this. Contrast that to what Jesus has been giving us in this picture here of your heavenly father. Notice how he says in verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's the contrast here. Between a distant begrudging giver and your father who already knows what you need before it's even on your lips, before it even comes to your mind, he's aware of it. He is uniquely acquainted with our world. He created it. He's the author of all a life. He's the ruler of it, and you are one of his children, citizens of this kingdom. He's redeemed you and brought you into it and adopted you. You're an heir. You don't live that way, clamoring for his attention. You already have it. And this is great news for you and I. Because it doesn't matter how much we pray in terms of the number of words or the way that we sound, how wordy or poetic our prayers are that will get his attention. It's our Father's good pleasure to give you his attention. In Jesus, prayer then goes from this exhausting clamor for God's attention to a child's conversation with their father. And that's why Dallas Willard will say, the pagans don't understand that prayer to the God of Israel, the living and personal God of the universe, is intelligent conversation about matters of mutual concern. He's not completely unaware of our needs, of the things that are going on in our lives. He gets it. He knows. Jesus says, don't be like those who think they have to babble and try to get my father's attention that's not who you are that's not what your father is like and when you pray you don't have to speak with many words stomp about scream hurt yourself to get his attention you're his beloved child you already have it and parents in this room you get this you know what it's like as you raise your kid to know what makes them tick to know what they need before they're even aware of it Lindsay went away to Newfoundland for 10 days in August and Lindsay knows Isaiah and Evan so well she she knows when they need to be eating their snacks so that they don't lose it on her or in each other. She knows the things that start how the what is the reason for them starting to get quieter or upset? I I can see it and discern it, but she picks it up like this. Like she just knows. God is like that, but like a million times more. He created humanity. He knows the things that make us tick. He knows the things that we need. And before we even recognize and say, Father, I need this, he's like, yeah, I know you do. I care. I'm going to take care of that. He is a good father. You have a father who knows you and knows your need, not just your material needs like food, clothing, housing, but he cares about your emotional and social and spiritual needs. He cares about your character, your giftings, your soul. He is your father who provides every good thing that you need in this life and the next. So don't pray like those who need to babble to get his attention. Then you come to verse 9 where it says, This is such a short prayer, but it's a brilliant prayer, and it covers almost every facet of life. And one of the things that this prayer does is it will answer three questions that I think every follower of Jesus has asked at one point or another. One of them is, am I praying the right things? That is, is this what the Father loves to hear? The second question is, am I Does he care about what's happening in our world and in my life? And the third is, does prayer even do anything? This prayer frees us from wondering whether what we're praying pleases him. For in this prayer, he reveals, Jesus reveals the kind of prayer that the Father loves to hear and loves to answer. In this prayer, Jesus says, yes, my Father cares deeply about this world, more than you can imagine. And He cares about you. This prayer reveals the Father's heart and actually pulls us into what moves Him. And in this prayer, Jesus invites us to partner with God in bringing about His purposes for this world. Prayer actually moves history. In prayer, you and I get to participate in the transformation of the world. And for the next few weeks, we're going to sit in this prayer, dwell in it, abide in it. Not simply to memorize it or to recite it each day. That's part of a goal is to know it. But if that's all it is, then we've missed the point. We've failed Jesus says no one comes to the father except through me if you have seen me you have seen the father I am the way and When Jesus invites us to know God as father He Is able to transform an exclusive relationship that he holds with his father into an open invitation Anyone who chooses to obediently follow Jesus will be drawn into what this one scholar says, the continuous current of divine love, enveloping the Father and the Son as one. That's what the Father invites us into. That's what Jesus says, you can have through me. This divine love that we get enveloped in. We want to experience the reality of this prayer to be enveloped by his love, not just know it and memorize it cognitively, but live in the reality of it. To have Jesus's prayer life be like this seed of a tree that is planted in our lives, sending its roots deep into us, weaving the tendrils through the fabric of our daily lives. We don't just want to know the Lord's prayer, we want to live it. We don't want to just pray what Jesus teaches us to pray here. We actually want to live the life of prayer that he lived, to experience the connection he shared with the Father. And so I'm going to pray to that end. Jesus, you are the source of all joy. And there's a part of me that when I um, hear what it is that you're saying, it fills my heart with joy. At the possibilities of what it is that you're inviting me and everyone in this room into. There's another part of me that feels like, how? It's real so challenging, I don't get it. I don't know how to fully live into this reality that you invite us into but you came to bring the kingdom Jesus and you want us to experience this so Jesus we pray that by the spirit we would be able to live into this reality of God as our father and begin to experience the life of prayer that you did the life of prayer that you want for each and every single one of us. So I ask that all the different ways that we've actually misunderstood prayer or twisted prayer to seek our own, um, to please us or to meet our own needs, to paint us in a positive light all the while we're losing sight of you. I say you'd begin to just not just remove those, but show us those things so we can turn from them. And I ask that we'd be able to experience the joy that you have for us in prayer. Lead us in these coming weeks so that we encounter you in a new way, we pray. Amen. We're going to respond through